This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Busyness can be an excuse to not write a book. No one knows busy better than Amy Davies. She is founder and CEO of First 30 Inc., an organization that offers advanced onboarding and outplacement services to businesses. But as busy as busy gets, Amy managed to write a book called A Spark in the Dark, Illuminating Your Path to a Brilliant Career in a Reorg World. And she did this while working as a director of research and strategy and also as a single mom. In the book, she explores how professionals achieve fulfilling and successful careers amidst a backdrop of constant organizational flux. Today, Amy is going to share how she managed to juggle writing a book while working full-time, leading a research team, and being a single mother, what she hoped the book would do for her, and what she learned along the way. So welcome, Amy. We are so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. But before we jump into our questions for you, we want to talk about where we have made progress this week. Dave, as always, you go first. That is a lot of pressure. So I have been inspired by one of our interviewees, Christina Quist. Uh, we interviewed her several episodes ago, and she talked about making time for what she called morning pages. And she got that from Julia Cameron, uh, who I think has a book by the same name. But it's this idea of the first thing that you do when you wake up is that you start to write. And it because of this, this, this kind of you're not even fully awake yet. And so there's something really magical about being in this state and, and writing. So I took a little baby step, so I didn't write. What I did is I, I decided, I get up, I usually feed the dog. Well, what first thing I do is I get on my phone, right? So that is just wrong. So this time I said, okay, I'm gonna make, take a baby step and I'm going to just feed the dog, turn the coffee and sit on the couch in silence for 15 minutes before I jump on my phone. So I realize that is not a big, huge, uh, wonderful leap of creativity or discipline, but I've done it maybe four out of the last seven days. I didn't do it this morning, I'm gonna confess. But there is something really wonderful about doing something other than just jumping on your phone. So I took just a part of what uh, Julia Cameron talks about in Morning Pages. And so that's, I feel like I've, I've made a little bit of progress. Can you tell us about the emotion of what you experience after those 15 minutes are up or does your day go any differently or what can you point to as happening because of these 15 minutes or maybe there isn't any point. <laughs> I would like to say that my life has been transformed by that, <laughs> but probably not. I, I would say that I, I, I don't know yet. And I was thinking about that question actually. So what difference does that actually make? Um, what I find is I have these thoughts 
And so I, I'm just trying to pay attention to thoughts that come. Like sometimes you have a dream, right? You wake up and you're like, dude, I'm so glad to be done with that. Woo! And you're, you're still thinking about that dream or one character in the dream or something dark, or, or it, it was a good dream, right? I don't know what it is. Or you wake up thinking about your kids. Like I wake up thinking about my son, Corey, who's uh, worried about him in college and he's got some injuries and in a show. So sometimes I wake up worrying about that. I don't know about the transformation. It's a really, really good question. I don't know, but thanks for asking. How about you? Where's your progress? Yeah, so this was a good one for me to focus on. I've been really stuck with what to post on my Instagram account, which you know I have devoted a lot of time to over the past five to six years. And I was posting every single day for like three to four years. And this year, I think I'm on my seventh year. I've just slowed down, which I think is all right. But I just partly because I just haven't known what to post. And so I've given myself a prompt for the first half of March since it is St. Patrick's Day and I am known for the color green on Instagram and I am doing an ode to green and every day I'm posting something green. So it's giving me some energy, something to post, something to look forward to. And I'm not like, what should I take a picture of today and write about? But it's giving me kind of a prompt. So I like the idea of having like a prompt to follow when you have a social media account. It's really helpful. That is really fresh because a prompt is a form of external discipline almost or Absolutely. discipline. I'm not sure what it is, but it, because it, it, then, it, okay, I, I got a prompt, Ode to Green. That's killer. That's a great right. idea. It gives me a place to start the, rather than just like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. So I just don't. So anyway, yes, that is my progress. What about you, Amy? Not to put you on the spot. Oh, yeah. you want to <laughs> well, I want to say, Dave, I'm with you. I would wake up and check my phone all the time. And I have a dog. One of the reasons I wanted a dog so badly was so that I would get right up every morning. He gets me up at 6 a.m. And I would not start my day on my phone. So <laughs> it's a really great when you can do that. But I would say that I was really inspired about being on the show. And one of the things that I did was I started really thinking about some projects that I had put on the back burner. I listened to your guest, Amy Sweezy, and she talked about leaving her book for 15 years and coming back to it. And I have two projects that I've been working on over the years and thinking about writing again, because we're talking today, I was like, you know, I should really go back and have a look at that. So I don't know if that counts as an accomplishment for the week, but uh, I'm so grateful to have this experience because I'm always thinking about my business and not thinking enough about writing and, and following that passion as well. Well, we're all about progress and not necessarily accomplishments. So okay. I think that's a great example of progress. You're thinking in a new way. And sometimes progress is that. It's just thinking in a fresh way. So yeah. thank you for sharing. Let's dig into the questions. I'm so excited to, for this conversation. Like I said, we often like to start these conversations by asking, when was that moment when you decided you needed to write a book? You had to do it. What prompted it? And what was your next step after that? I don't remember there ever not being a time when I wanted to write a book. I was, an, I was a pretty avid reader as a child. I had quite a, an imagination. Over the years, I kept thinking, I want to write one really good book. And I don't know what that book is. And I don't know when it's going to happen. I would write just as a pastime. And I would never really put anything together. I was really great at starting something and then putting it down and not having the confidence to come back to it. 
the, I think that's what happens to a lot of writers. It, it can be hard to read your own writing. And you know, if you ever go through boxes as someone who's a writer and look up things you've written, it just can be mortifying, right? And you just want to put it away. But I started writing uh, A Spark in the Dark about five years before uh, it was published. So that project started and I would leave it and come back to it and leave it and come back to it. So that particular book, but I've always felt very strongly that I had at least one good book in me. What was the idea behind the book and what made you think I've got to write on this? I started my career in the UK at Unilever. And when I was there, it's one of those companies where people go and they stay there for life. It's a great company to work for and that's one of the reasons. So what ended up happening was they went through the, one of their first really big restructures while I was there. It was my first real adult job and I'm watching everyone go through that experience of their having a risk to their own outcome. And I know that when we look at our well-being, I actually researched this for work at Unilever on a separate subject, but we like to have control of our own outcome. And when we don't have control of our own outcome, that's what starts to leave us feeling very unwell. And this year with COVID and you know everyone experiencing this pandemic, we feel like control of our own outcome has been taken away from us, which is one of the many reasons this has been such a difficult year. So I started thinking about writing this career book. How do you have a successful career? And it was sort of answering that question. But then with every different role that I had, I moved back to Canada after six years. I worked for a telecommunications company. Again, went through a number of reorgs when I was there. And this pattern kept repeating in every organization I was in. So I'm writing this career book in the background because I'm like that person that people would come talk to when they were feeling unsure and I would try to help them. But I didn't want to just write any career book, right? Because there's a lot of career books out there. I didn't want to put something out there that already existed. So then I started thinking, well, what about this reorg world? And the fact we're changing jobs every two to three years. If we're with a company our whole life, they'll invest in us and they'll help us through and we'll get training and coaching and advance. But how can we advance intellectually and in a way we want in terms of our career progress if we're switching companies all the time and not sticking it out with one. So as soon as I landed on that uh, idea of this reorg world, I felt like I had something meaningful to offer. And that's when I really got into writing the book. What were some of the hurdles that you came across as far as like, even like when you got stuck an idea and how did you push through? Did you have to do more research? Did you, I mean, just tell us about the process of writing the book. When I was writing the book, I had kids. <laughs> that was hard because, you know, they obviously take a lot of your time. I had high pressure jobs and I went through a divorce. My son, my younger child was only three when I separated. and It was a very difficult separation. So those were definitely hurdles that were in the way and got in the way of writing. And it's sometimes it's we talk a lot about not having time. But I think it's less about not having time and not having the energy to dedicate to do the job we want to do. And I put all this pressure on myself to be writing this book and it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. Right. So those were some of the hurdles that I overcame. Ultimately, the way that I got through that was I 
there was all kinds of changes at the company I was working at. And I opted to leave the organization. I loved the organization, but I opted to leave because I knew I wanted to write this book. I knew I wanted to start a business. So I sat down for two or three months and every single day dedicated to writing this book. The other one thing that I wanted to say that was hard, it's hard to write an entire book. It's less difficult to write a chapter. So when I was writing each book, and even if you read the book, you'll see that each chapter can stand on its own. And that for me was really important. And when I talk to other people who are want to write, I say, stop looking at writing an entire book, make each chapter a story if you can, <laughs> and then keep going and focus on getting that one done. So that way you have many accomplishments along the way that are making you feel good. So that was one thing that I did that really helped me through the process. I don't think the book would have been written if I hadn't had that revelation as I was writing it. What were some of the conversations that you had with people who are doing it right in this reorg world? Maybe some insights that you discovered in some of the conversations that you had with people. So when, I guess what I'm asking is when people are really doing it right in this, because we are living in a completely upside down world compared to what my parents lived in. When you're talking with people who are doing it right, what are they doing? First of all, they're taking control of the, they're taking control. Uh, and what that means is they are investing in themselves and making sure they get out there and do the hard work that it takes to have a successful career. Things like, and everyone talks about networking, but doing networking and doing it really, really well. So building that network of people that like and trust you is so important. And so getting out there, working really hard, I think that is also sounds strange to say, but I think that young, I see young people, and I was one of them, by the way, you get out there and you think I could do my boss's job, <laughs> you know, promote me yesterday. But when you get to start doing your boss's job many years later, you're like, oh my goodness, this is not as easy as I thought, right? So that grunt work, you know, that people say, it's like I say some days you're crushing the grapes, some days you're drinking the wine, right? You got to spend a number of years crushing the, the grapes and doing that pick and shovel work, right? And then you will get hopefully rewarded. But while you're doing that, you must be building your network. Uh, you can't take the, you can't take your focus away from that because what I find is people get complacent in the role they're in and they think it's gonna last forever. And then all of a sudden, like we've seen in the last year, things can change. You had no idea this was gonna happen. And now you're sort of starting from scratch. So people that do it really well, take control by doing the really hard work and learning everything they can. I think they also treat their jobs as jobs and their career as a career. And they're two separate things, but it, because your job is temporary, you don't have as much control of that, but you still should work as hard as possible. Even if you're not happy in that job, even if you have every reason not to be <laughs> the hardest worker, because you're surrounded by people maybe not physically, but even virtually who are seeing the work you're doing. And if you have a great attitude, if you work hard, you'll learn and they will invest in you and want to help you grow in your career later. So there's a number of things that we can do. 
Um, the other thing that I don't think we talk enough about in the, and the, oh, sorry, there's two things we don't talk enough about imprinting, which is your first impression when you meet someone and understanding who you are and what you want to convey to the world. Because when we meet and interact with people, they make assessments of us very early on. And this is a cognitive behavior. A belief system is built. And once that belief system is established, it's almost impossible to change. So if you start off that way with everybody, you're not going to have a, a great chance of really getting to what you want in, in your career. So that and also avoiding people who are toxic. And by that, I mean people who are psychopathic, people who are narcissists. They are out there and there's a lot more of them than we care to admit. And they can destroy your career, they can harm your well-being. I talk about that a lot. And I don't know that companies and individuals are thinking about these things enough, uh, because they can really alter the outcome of individuals, but also the outcome and potential for organizations. So when you were writing this book, you had an ideal reader in mind, the person who was going to be reading this book. And what did you hope that they would do, feel, experience after reading your book? That is such a good point about that ideal reader, because if I was thinking of one of the barriers when I was writing the book, one of the hurdles I had to overcome, like most, I think a lot of authors, I went out there thinking, this book is for everybody. <laughs> everybody wants to have a career. And when I started working with a publisher, they were like, uh, you really have to hone in on your audience. And so then I really reflected on that. And I thought, okay, you know who I'm writing this book for is a younger version of myself. And that person who really wants to succeed, but makes all the mistakes and, and needs that little coach in their corner to help them get through all of this. It's very difficult to navigate, especially as a woman starting out uh, in a, a country that was foreign to me. Uh, it was not easy. So I was writing for that person who to their core uh, was good, but making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and, and with some inspiration and, and a guidance would really be able to, to get what they wanted from their career, who was very ambitious. How did your writing change once you decided to make it less general and more specific? Did it change at all? Or was it just that your mindset changed and it just gradually seeped in or was there definitive things that you did to direct your writing at that person? It, it got a lot better. It flowed. It, it came out a lot more easily because I knew exactly who I was talking to and I knew exactly the stories and the advice that they needed to succeed. And it just, it just was so much easier once that happened. Would you say it was more specific? and focused? Was your writing like more concrete in some ways? It was more concrete and it was much more lively because I now it's like, I know who I'm talking to. It's, you know, when you meet someone and you don't really know them and you don't, you're not really that comfortable around them or you're with a group and you can't really assess everybody. You're, you're kind of, you have your guard up and you're like, Oh, what do I say? How do I, how do I engage this audience? But when you, you're talking to someone you're comfortable with and you know really well, you, it just comes out naturally. And that was what happened. What point did you get that feedback from your publisher that you needed to make it more specific? How much writing had you already done? And did you have to go back and rewrite some things? 
I did. I went back and rewrote. So I had been writing for a number of years, but like I said, it wasn't commi that committed writing where I was sitting down and writing every day. So fortunately, I spoke to them before I started doing that. So I had a couple chapters. They weren't great. Uh, so I actually made the hard decision to throw them away. And I went back and some of the things that I had talked about came back into the book, but they were much more structured and much more clear. Uh, yeah, after I sat down with her, it was about six months from then that I sat down and started writing. So those six months, I was really thinking about how I was going to, who I was going to be speaking to, because I hadn't come up with that yet. And then how that was going to happen. And you're also wrestling with your papers that, you know, your chapters that you've written and thinking, oh, how can I salvage this? And then you just have to, to decide to move ahead and start from scratch. <laughs> That's such an emotional moment when you trash what you've already written or you just say, I'm not going to rely on it at all. That's an emotional moment and something that so many writers we work with are so afraid to do. And so instead they, st they start shoehorning things into the existing sh chapter that don't really work. And you have this kind of this messed up chapter that doesn't flow, doesn't have focus. So what I hear you saying is it's scary to let go of what you've already written, but it is better. And some of those prevailing ideas still work into the what your future writing. Yes, it was liberating. I would say once I made this decision to do it, it was liberating and I, I felt... I'm so glad I was given that feedback and so glad I made the decision that I did. Many of our listeners are people like yourself. So they are people that are, are aspiring to write a book for their business, like their coaches, or they, are, um, they have different types of businesses and they feel like a book really would be a good fit for them. So talk a little bit about the promotion of your book, how you mm -hmm. use the book, maybe a few months before the book was launched to even what you're doing now. So discuss that a little bit. And I think that would be helpful to those who are, are in a business or entrepreneurs and want to write a book. It's interesting that my business, I always knew I wanted to start a business. I didn't know what it was, but it was almost born out of my life experience. And then this, and then the book. What I can say is I've incorporated the book into the actual program that I offer. So when businesses work with First 30 and their, their exiting employees go through the program, they each get an audio edition and an e-edition of the book. So I'm using it for the purpose of the business. I honestly think that if I had thought I was going to build a business based on writing a book, like put the book out there and I'm going to become famous and make all this money. <laughs> I, I, that would be very naive. And, you know, I don't want to pretend I didn't quietly think that you, <laughs> you realize uh, once the book goes out that it's hard to sell books, right? It's very hard to sell books. And you have to have a greater purpose if you're writing a business book than to be making money off the book. I, I think that you should do is think about how is this going to raise your profile? And one mistake I see a lot of business authors making, and I've spoken to other people who are writing business books, is they make the book a lot about themselves. And instead of making it about the story and about the reader and about the experiences they might be having. And we have to be careful because I'm not Michelle Obama, right? I love to read about her and her life experience because she is, and I admire her so much and she's very well-known, let's face it, it takes being well-known. 
I don't think that people care necessarily other than my close friends and family about Amy Davies story, right? So I had to think about who would be reading this and how it's going to help them and not make it about me or my business. It should be come from a place of generosity. I want to help the people in my network learn and think about, so I wrote a book for the user. I should probably be writing a book. And if anybody has a business, you should be writing a book for your customer. Cause my user, I'm a B2B business. My user is not who's buying my services. So if I were to go back and do it all over again, should I have also written a book for my customer who are HR leaders? Yeah, probably. I'm very happy with the book that I've written. So think about who your ideal customer is and what they want to know. Do your research and write that book for them, not for you. When the book first was published, you mentioned you had a publisher. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship with the publisher and how much they helped you promote the book once it was released? So I worked in this hybrid model where I had, I worked with a company called Page Two and they, I self-published, but they helped me through the process. So they had an editor for me. They had a graphics person to do the cover for me. They did all the kind of background work that you guys know all about getting it put up on Amazon, et cetera. And I wanted to write a great book. And I feel that I achieved that by working with another organization. I can be a bit of a lone wolf when it comes to business and running my business and, and the writing process. And it was hard at times, but they made that book so much better. Having an editor of the caliber that I had changed my, the outcome for me, the outcome for the book. It's a book I'm very proud of. And I do think that sometimes people just sort of say, oh, I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to do the graphics myself. I'm going to kind of take the cost-effective route, which I totally get. But then that's a, you're part of your brand forever. And I knew that. And it was so important to me to get it right. And they really helped me get it right. So I think that if working with others on your book and not just doing it as a solo endeavor is going to change it and make it so much better. The one thing I would say is we have to be careful if you're writing a business book, because Dave was asking me about writing a business book specifically. When you work with a publisher or in a hybrid model like I did, they might not know your business as well as you do. You know your customer best. So we had this debate about using the term reorg world. I insisted on it and they said they don't know, they, they didn't live in a world of all this restructuring and corporate flux and they weren't in the corporate world. So it totally made sense that they questioned that. I'm glad on that one, on many points, I did not stick to my guns. Uh, they advised me and their advice was amazing, including on the, uh, the title of the book, which I love, but they pushed back on that reorg part. And I'm like, okay, this is one area where I know best <laughs> and I feel confident about the title in that way but it's always good to have the conversation have the debate because you may may make you think things of things in a different light i would like for you just to define the hybrid model and where you leave off and where they start and if you could just one explain the hybrid model and 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 talk about the collaboration from my understanding what you can do when you publish a book is you kind of have three roads to travel 
One is you do it all by yourself. You're your own editor, you're, you write it, you're your own editor, you're your own business person. You do all the background work of figuring out how to put it up on Amazon, how to get it printed. All of those things are up to you. You, you create the cover, et cetera. There's another uh, route you can take, which is on the opposite end of that spectrum is where you go look for a publisher and that publisher may or may not pay you in advance, or you might write the book and send it to the publisher, then they take over and they own the rights to your book for a certain period of time, but they do the cover, they do, they have a great editor to help you, all these wonderful things that on the surface seem amazing. And I think for some people that works very, very well. We were talking about publishing business books. If you publish a business book and you work with a publisher and they own the rights to your book and they decide to stop printing it, you have lost the ability to have a book in hand at conferences or wherever it is until you have the rights back for that book. So if you're using it as a glorified um, business card, which some people say about business books, you're going to lose that, those rights. I wanted all the benefits of having a publisher and having an editor and a graphics person and business support. So I invested in it. It costs money. It's definitely not inexpensive, but looking for a company to help me. And I was introduced to this company. And so they had exactly what I was looking for. They could help me with the editing. They, you know, did the cover. I've gone through that. But so to me, that's a mix. You're not doing it all on your own. You're not having it pretty much done. Not that the writing part is done for you, but you get it all done and you're not in having to pay for it. This one is you have to pay for it and you get all that extra benefit of, but you own the rights and you've had all that extra support with the editing, et cetera. I hope that made sense. <laughs> so no, that's perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. that beautiful. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think your the hybrid model is a really, really good model for people like yourself who are entrepreneurs, business owners, and I think the control is so critical. People don't mm. understand what could happen in the future if that book is stopped, if the book isn't printed anymore. Yeah. And it's not like you get those rights back, right? So a lot of these are in perpetuity. So that's a really, really important point. Talk about the moment you, talk about your promotion immediately when the book came out and how you're using the book now. Early on, Melissa was talking about Instagram. <laughs> so I, I'm Instagram and I can't seem to make friends, but LinkedIn is sort of where I live. So I thought, you know, the best thing I can do is really promote this book on LinkedIn because I want to reposition myself from being a research person, because I was really kind of like I was known for being a research person, to this person who understands careers and getting more into the HR space. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll I'll do a 25 day video countdown to the launch of the book on LinkedIn. And oh my gosh, I made the decision like three or four days before uh, the 25 day countdown. <laughs> and I told my husband thinking, I said, how hard can it be to make 25 or 30 second videos with one little piece of career advice every single day for 25 days? Oh, it was, I'll tell you, it was, so exciting but it was so frustrating and how many takes it takes like two hours to get 30 seconds worth of good content right 
<laughs> so uh, I did that. And you know what? It got so much attention. I had people from all over the world engaged in this 25 day countdown because I was giving them advice that would help them with their career. And, you know, the videos were kind of fun. My kids were in some of them. And then at the end I launched, I had a best of the day of the launch. And then I had a, ran a blooper reel the next day. And the, the blooper reel was the easiest one to put together because there was a lot of content for it. What a great idea. That great is idea. a perfect idea. So after you did that, and you're into the launch, the book is now out there in the world. So how are you using that book now? So I started 2020, I was actually at a conference and they, what they did is they, I came in as a paid speaker and they bought a, a books for everybody. Um, and that happened to me a few times, which was great. But then of course we know what happened with the world. So fortunately for me, I wasn't depending on that. Uh, that was like a great perk. And I was really excited that uh, companies and organizations were interested enough to have me in and speak and to purchase uh, large quantities of the book. I don't uh, have my clients purchase a book. I use it as part of the program because I want every user of this program to have access to a copy of that book. Some read it, some don't, right? But that's how I'm using it now. It enhances the quality of the service that I'm offering. It's still for sale on Amazon. Copies sell, it keeps selling, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, you can certainly, maybe when things change, I don't think things are ever going back. We're going to have a next normal to, to look forward to. So we may not have these opportunities as authors to do these bulk sales at conferences anymore. And that's something definitely people who are writing business books should consider um, because that was traditionally one big way. But if I were ever at a trade show or a conference in future, I'd definitely use it. I would actually, I think that a lot of people, if they want to write business books, then th those books sell their services. They should actually think about how do they give them away? Because if it, if it convinces their buyer that their products and services are of value, if that's selling their services, like I said, you're not going to make money on the book anyway. Why not even give it away in a PDF format? Um, because that's not costing you anything. So you're viewing it more as a marketing item, a marketing dollar, marketing budget item almost. I, I am. You can use it as marketing. For me, it's not that I'm giving it to my prospective clients, but it's part of my program. So people definitely can use it as marketing. For me, I also I, I sell the book. I could use it for marketing if conferences ever came back. And I use it as part. It's a part of my business. Just tell us a little bit about your business. Who are the clients that you, you serve? Who is the hero of your brand? And, and what are some of the deliverables that you create for your business? Primarily an outplacement business. So when companies lay off staff, a lot of businesses want to help those exiting team members get over the experience of job loss because it is emotional. And I know that a lot of people, particularly this past year, have gone through that. I've been through it. So it's, it can be difficult to go through. So they want to help them get through that. And then they want to help them get back to work. And that's exactly what the first 30 program does. 
So there's three big aspects to it. One is there's a platform with a 30-day program with video content and resources and all kinds of expert guests. We have a clinical psychologist who talks to them about the feelings they must be going through. Um, there's a LinkedIn course, there's a resume writing course. So all the things you'd expect. We do resume reviews for the users. Um, and we also run webinars every couple of weeks on different topics and they're very casual and conversational webinars to help them look for new ways to network, to find work and even how to, I was gonna write, uh, sort of do one on how to run a business or start a business because a lot of people are starting side hustles. And then some clients opt also to do individual coaching, virtual coaching for their team members. So we have clients across North America now, which is really exciting. That is in a nutshell, the business. I kind of am the host of the, the, the business, like the host of the program. So you see my face every day for a minute or so in the video where we're talking about a different topic. Like even we talk one day about imprinting, we talk about body language, how to show up at an interview, storytelling your way to interview success. So how to write your career story and then tell that in an interview. So there's all kinds of different features. So that in a nutshell is what it is. It's what I would love, have loved when I was going through transition um, from one employer to another. It must be really rewarding helping people get to their next stop in life and be feel successful after a period of not feeling very successful being laid off. The best days are the days when I get emails from people in the program or that I've worked with who say, I got a job today and they're so happy and I absolutely love when they come back and they let me know. Uh, yeah, that, that's such a great feeling. I love that. I can see your passion about helping people and that we so appreciate you sharing your story with us and offering so many great insights, especially for the business leader who wants to write a book, a business book specifically. So thank you so much for being with us today, Amy. And thank you for having me and inspiring me to go back to some yeah. of the projects that I have sitting on the shelf. Well, we can't wait to see what's next. So we turn to the episode at this moment to words of the episode. And I will go first, Dave. How about that? Okay, you're on. All right. My word is bonamy, which is cheerfulness, friendliness, and geniality. And I would say there's bonamy among us on the podcast today. So, so say that again. Bonamy. Bonhomie. It's How do you spell a it? B O N H O M I E, and it comes from a, a French French etymology. So, anyway, I like it. It's I guess speaking of the pandemic, a sentence I came up with was the bonhomie of the travelers reflected the glee of being free from quarantine. So it's cheerful friendliness, geniality, and I think it's a fun word. It's it doesn't sound like it's spelled. So I don't know how many people have heard it before. <laughs> that is a great word. I love it because it's sunny out today here in Chicago. And we have had the dark night of the soul in January and February here in the Chicago area. But recently it has been sunny. So that word combined with the sun today makes me really happy. Right. There's lots of bonhomie among people out and about because of the sun. Absolutely. People are feeling it. <laughs> That's awesome. What about you, Dave? What's your word of the episode? <laughs> okay, so my word, I'm a big fly fisher. And Amy, you should know this. I had a <laughs> podcast for many years. In fact, we still have it. I fish a lot in the West and you're fishing small creeks and rivers. And there's a phrase called the riparian zone. 
and the riparian zone. So the word is riparian. It's the adjective. It's an adjective that refers to the wetlands that are adjacent to the rivers and the streams. And so it's really, really important that those riparian zones are not destroyed either through erosion or through pollution or through construction. So for example, uh, one of the big things is to protect the waters. If you're gonna, we, we call them the cold water fisheries of North America. And so the cold water fisheries are those where the trout can live, the salmon can live, the sea running trout can live, the steelhead, which are sea running trout. So the riparian zone are these lands that, are, that occur along the water courses and these water bodies. So, uh, so when we say something like, uh, in fly fishing, like the, the grasshopper, which is a terrestrial, which we try to imitate when we do fly fishing. The, the grasshopper does not, its life cycle does, is not in the water. Its life cycle comes from the riparian zone along the banks. It's just one of those wonderful words that if you love conservation, you love the outdoors, you love fly fishing, you love the life of, of the wild, uh, it's just a wonderful word. Could you use it in a metaphoric sense ever? Boy, how would I do that? I'm not as smart as you are. How would how would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I I just was throwing it out to you to see if you'd ever considered using it in a more metaphorical sense. So it would be something referring to the something that's adjacent to something. Yeah, right. And yeah. maybe land versus water. So if you're yeah. trying to create a distinction between the two spaces, hmm. maybe you could say he was a more of a riparian individual compared to somebody who likes to swim or surf or whatever, <laughs> or he was uncomfortable in the riparian zone. I don't know. You're too literary for me. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's great. That's a great question. I can't answer that question. Well, good. I, I'm glad I put you in a spot where you're challenged. <laughs> Amy, do you have a word you'd like to share? Not to put you on the spot. If you don't, we'll just edit this part out. No, Amy, no. <laughs> I do have a word I can share, and it's a very simple one. The word yes. Uh, I love that word because what we might not know about it is that it elicits a positive cognitive response. So when you are job searching or when you're working in a company, if someone says, can you show up tomorrow at 10? Instead of saying, I'll be there at 10, you can rather say, yes, I'll see you at 10 or I'll be there at 10. And by using the word yes, you're actually making the person happy without realizing it. And on the flip side, no is considered the most dangerous word in the English language because it actually elicits a negative cognitive response for people who were raised with the, the English as their mother tongue because it meant so many, had so many negative connotations when we were growing up, right? So as much as you can, especially in the job search and during your career, insert the word yes. Yes, I will do that. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to be really proactive, Dave, especially when you ask me a question. Yes, I am working on that. <laughs> yes, I've uploaded the blog post. <laughs> that, that really is fresh. I really, the, just as you were saying it, you know, I'll be there. Yes. I mean, I mean it's like yeah. your whole body changes when you say that word. Yeah. And, and so few people realize that's the case. And uh, once you realize it's like having a superpower. Ah, that's great. I love it. I love how much you've just empowered us to go forth. That's an awesome note to end on. But before we totally close out the episode, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about Road Trippers and how people can join and what it's all about? 
So Journey 66 is, is a, it includes a membership coaching community and it's a monthly membership and we're just getting off the ground. And so we do a weekly Q&A for all writers who just want support and who have questions about their writing, specific questions. Maybe it's on structure, maybe it's on the thesis of the book, maybe it's on book promotion. And then we also do every week as part of this Q&A, a teaching session. So for example, last week, uh, Melissa did a, uh, a session on how to barrier your research beneath the surface of the text. When you're writing a trade book, we've worked with a lot of uh, academics and that's one of the, you know, the temptations when you're writing a book is to kind of show how smart you are. And that's like the worst thing to do because it slows down the reader and, and just steals the attention, uh, the tension, excuse me, not steals the attention, but takes out the tension of the book. So all that to say is Tuesdays at 3.30 p.m. Central, we do a Q&A. But to get to that, we provide a Zoom link on our Road Trippers group on Facebook. So you just have to jump on Facebook, search for Road Trippers. It's a closed group. We'll let you in. And we'd love to, uh, love to have you part of it. Absolutely. We'd love to have a few of you join this next week. So I think that that is a wrap, Dave. I am Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.